Welcome, everyone, to episode 49 of the Single Malt Strategy Podcast. I am your host, John, the Strategy Wargamer, and with me today are my co-hosts, Eric Tortuga Power and Matt, the Historical Gamer. Welcome back, guys. How are you guys doing in this brand new year? This is where you say stuff. That good. We're doing amazing. I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> it's always this awkward thing. You know the three-wheel where it's like, who goes if somebody asks a question? I think, honestly, John, I think you just got to... You got to point a finger at someone. <laughs> Not the middle finger, though. <laughs> yes, and we have a special episode for you guys today. We're a little late. I know this shit's supposed to go out before the beginning of the year, but we're going to be doing a top games of 2019, and we're going to be counting off the top three games each of us think made the top charts in 2019. So, I am going to point my big middle finger <laughs> at Tortuga Power here. Oh, gosh. Is it me already? Okay, so I, I, I'm i not going to go through, like, every game of 2019. I, I feel like we're just doing, like, our top three games, right? Yeah, we're just doing top three. So, this will be the third. Okay, so, I mean, it'll be a little bit anticlimactic if somebody else's number one is taken up by someone else's two or three, but... My number three for 2019 is, drumroll please. Thank you, thank you. Field of Glory Empires. Um, How did I knew that shit was going to, I knew that was going to be in your top three. <laughs> yeah, I think. Can we boo someone else's list? <laughs> you guys are upset with Field of Glory Empires? Oh, I know what whose list he's going to be booing. I don't want to spoil the punch, but this was in direct opposition to what I'm sure is in John's 2019 <laughs> top three list. But anyway, uh, I think Field of Glory Empires, um, look at that t- that time frame, doing those historical ga- type games like Imperator Rome, all those games um, in a set in the ancient, it's like the Rome Total War type stuff. I feel like Field of Glory Empires... I mean, we don't. I, there's not a ton of games in 2019 to pick from to begin with, but I feel like Field of Glory Empires did that scenario correctly, and uh, it was enough. I played it enough. I got enough enjoyment out of it that I found it to be one of my top three games from 2019. Well, before we jump, I wonder what was the specific thing like. What is the key thing that kind of won you over on that game, like mechanic-wise or anything? Hmm. Okay. Let's see. Well, I really enjoy the turn-based. Uh, I enjoy the Rome Total War type environment for uh, the historical games, like the classical type games. I think it fits well because not a whole lot is happening in a, an amount of time. So I don't think you need to go day by day or anything like that. I think it's an appropriate jump of time it's having those turns, kind of repeating myself. Uh, combat, okay, so obviously the link to Field of Glory 2, being able to okay. execute the combat... If you want, just that's an option. Obviously, it's not part of the base game. You have to own Field of Glory 2, but um, I enjoy Field of Glory 2 as well, so it's fun to bring those in. And I feel like the the historicity, if I can make up a word, <laughs> the ability um, of a game to like follow history, I think that's, uh, that's important to me. And Field of Glory Empires, it does remain close to history. They've somehow... It's such a tricky balance to build in an AI which should just be trying to do its best at all times but also when that happens the balance of the game evolves in a manner that's believable or similar to history that's a tricky balance and I feel like Field of Glory Empires has achieved that balance that you see things progress 
you know, you see Rome start blobbing bigger and bigger. You see Macedonia get bigger. You see Rome fight Macedonia. Rome usually beats Macedonia. You see Carthage and Rome. I mean, a lot of the historical way that things played out happen and they're not scripted. It's all just built into the modifiers of these nations that some of them are supposed to be stronger and like the I don't know, so the balance is they've obviously put in a lot of, a lot of amount of time into it. So how many hours are you on so far? How many hours have I played on it? Yeah. Last time you checked. I don't know. I'm gonna guess maybe 150. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. All is right. that a lot or a little? <laughs> I better check the game now. It might be a lot less than that. If you're at three digits, man, that's that's uh <laughs> that's impressive. Well, the problem is Steam is not really. Um, no, my playtime is only fifty-four hours, so that's a lot less. Oh, only, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> but I think my my playtime in games is so. I can't really figure out how much time I've played in the game, even if Steam tells you because it's distorted. Sometimes I'll leave the game running for you know a couple hours. <laughs> okay, enough. That's number three. I don't want to spend a lot of time on number three. I should do that to boost my numbers. To go to work at eight o'clock in the morning, turn on Steam, and then just fucking come back at four and be like, "Yeah, man, I played for a while." I've done that before, where you just leave a game running overnight. You're like, "I'll play it when I wake up." I haven't done that yet, but maybe I did in years. But uh, let's go on to um, Matt. What's your number three top game of 2019? Uh, my number three game on the list is a game that I wouldn't be surprised if Tortuga has in here, but I'm not sure if he does or not. And that is a game called A Legionary's Life, uh, which is a really interesting project that's done by, I think, one guy. Um, It's a sort of an RPG uh, storytelling game. It's almost like a... It almost harks back to sort of the old text-based adventure type games of the, the 80s and 90s, although it does... Um, you know, have some element of graphics and, and interface. Uh, but really, it's it's telling the story of an individual Roman soldier during the Second Punic War, uh, and it has permadeath. And so you basically are uh, this, you start out essentially with the equivalent of a Roman private uh, as you're shipped off to uh, modern-day Spain to fight against the Carthaginians in the Second Punic War, and uh, you're given a wide variety of uh, sort of events or uh, narrative-driven events that occur during your time as a soldier, and you kind of have to balance training. You have to balance, you know, are you going to focus on swordsmanship on your javelin? Are you going to focus on building your relationship with your fellow comrades, uh, other soldiers in the Roman army? And then when you're presented with these different choices in in, in the war. Uh, that can influence the path that you go down. Do you want to basically break away from your soldiers and go loot part of the city, or do you want to, uh, you know, be a hero and try and help your, uh, you know, the your officer as he tries to, you know, drive back the enemy? All of these types of decisions are are put at your disposal, and frankly. It's a game that I think does a good job of showing you probably don't want to try and be a hero if you're if you're fighting in a war where you don't get to respawn. Um, you know, the, if you want to be a hero, you can go for it, but you're probably going to die, and uh, that's probably pretty accurate to how soldiers, uh, you know, fight in in the real world. The the heroes or the, or the wannabe heroes often uh, don't survive their efforts. Uh, but it's it's a great game. It's available on Steam. I think it's only $9, so it's pretty affordable. Uh, I think it has three different campaigns, and um, it's uh, I really think the world of this game, and I had a lot of fun playing it this year. 
I have to say that's a great that's a great pick. It would definitely make my um, honorable mentions. Uh, and I think you summed up the game very well. It does penalize hero type stuff until you get very good at the game, or if you've played it for a lot, you kind of build up enough points that you can start with a better character. So. Yeah, that's the one thing. So this game can be very, very difficult. One of the things I think they do a good job of that helps you uh, lessen the difficulty a little bit is you earn points uh, based off your previous playthroughs, and those can be used to give you a slight starting advantage uh, when you go into your next game. So you might be able to start off with a better sword or or more money or or other things that can really help you in the early uh, campaign kind of snowball yourself into a superhero Although I have never beaten the game, I always find myself somehow getting myself killed. There was one period where I, I, I did something heroic. I won a bunch of awards. I really was was very highly leveled up. And then I did something stupid in the, in, the, in the North African campaign and rapidly found myself, despite the fact that I was a tremendous soldier, uh, in a situation where it was like four on one and I got myself killed. Reminds me, I'm looking at the map right now, it reminds me of old like Nintendo game where you're like this uh, warrior that goes out into the world in this 2D kind of like box hex game kind of thing. That's not really the gameplay map per se. That's So that is something that comes up occasionally when you're back at camp, you're given orders to like go forage for stuff. And that is a map that comes up when you're out foraging for different uh, materials and, and minerals. The bulk of this game is is text based, where you text based, and then um, like I don't know how to describe it, but basically it's it's a uh, it's almost like a JRPG. A, yeah, that's a good description of it. Um, but basically, you, you're given choices of like, do you want to aim for the neck? Do you want to aim for the, the the shield or other things like that when you're in combat? The screen you're looking at is not the screen you look at for the majority of the game. I see. It has like a nice Marvel background, kind of all text-based, yeah. Interesting. It, by the way, the storytelling, the storytelling is really good on that, too. It's very well written. I think it's pretty historical in terms of uh, the following of the, the Second Punic War campaigns, and it puts you, you know, in a narrative-driven text adventure as an individual soldier going through all of these things. I think they really did their research, or, or the guy really did his research. But that's enough on that game. I don't want to spend all the time talking about a number three game on the list. So uh, what's your number three, uh, Jean? It's one that you're going to love, Matt. It's, it's something that's going to win your heart over, and you're going to be like, that's exactly what I should have chosen. And my number three game of 2019 is, drumroll, <laughs> Axis and Allies 1942 Online. <laughs> wow. So let it, let it come, let it come. <laughs> well, I, I don't I'm just surprised. I I don't I understand. I is this for other reasons? But <laughs> is this so? I have a question, John. Is are, did I misunderstand? Are we doing the worst three games of 2019? <laughs> 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 Use that joke too early because I think we could use that after he's delivered all three. So I knew it was coming because uh, we had a little uh, we had a little confrontation on social media about it. So. I will say the reason why I've chosen this game as my number three of 2019, and the reason being is I always wanted an Axis and Allies game for the PC, laptop, tablet, whatever, right? I always wanted a digitized version of Axis and Allies. The last two iterations that we had, which were back in the 2000s and before, were complete garbage. I mean, you know, you can shit out a better product than that. 
this game now mind you i know we all played it i believe the first week it came out and i know you guys mentioned like you know there's some lag and that's mainly because um it was designed to be uh, played asynchronously not synchronously across uh you know all of us as we we're playing a multiplayer session uh but they fixed all those bugs and they improved the game uh, leaps and bounds uh and when i start playing the game with all of you guys during that multiplayer session you know, it was an early access game. It was not even version 1.0. It was kind of like beta. So I took it as that. And based upon the game and playing it with you guys and playing the AI and, and you know, just having my, you know, time with it, I really like it. I really love it, actually, honestly, because, you know, it scratches that itch that I, I wanted to scratch for quite a while, right? It's, it's kind of like, you know, you're trying to grab the back of your back and like that motherfucking itch, I can't get it. And then that one day you find a little paddle and you get that nice little scratch off, you know? And that's what Access Analysis has done. You know, I can now play this game whenever and wherever I want. And that was the key thing because I haven't played Access and Ally since the 90s, maybe early 2000s. Since then, you know, we all, you know, my board game crew have all, you know, been busy. You know, one went deployed overseas, you know, either I was on active duty, uh, my other buddy, you know, went to a games convention. So we never had time to get all together and just do play access and allies and now i don't have to worry about that now i can say hey Artie, uh get on this game uh play your turn i'll play my turn tomorrow and then bob will play the next day and we'll 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 get a game going without even being in the same state so i think that's pretty awesome and i appreciate that beam dog did a great job and now that i can play my favorite board game right and it's one of my favorite board games i would say it's at least in my top three uh favorite board games anytime and anywhere well, I mean, I respect I respect the fact that you, yeah, you must really like Axis and Allies, and they've done a pretty faithful representation of it. I can agree with all that. So, I mean, it's not a game which touched me in the same way, but it makes sense that if you were really looking forward to, it's more like a <clears throat> beer and pretzels type tabletop. Oh, yeah. And now you can play it with people, so it makes sense. This game for me, because like when we, me and my friends were, you know, growing up, right, we played Risk, which was, you know, it's a casual strategy game. If you can call it a strategy game, it's, it's very casual. This one takes it up a notch, right? So like this is a little bit more strategy oriented, you, you know, it's a little bit more, I'm not going to say grognard, but it's, it's a, it requires a little bit more depth, a little bit more thinking, a little bit more strategy than Risk. And this was one of the first games that I played. I was like, shit, I really like strategy games, like games that, you know, you have to kind of make alliances and, you know, attack here and do island hopping, all this shit. And then from Axis and Allies, that's when I started playing other board games and going into digital strategy games. So it was kind of like my jumping off uh, game, I would say. So we got the first three out of the way, right? Now we'll head to the top number two game of 2019 right so let's start let's rewind back and let's touch base with eric here so i'm curious oh, we're not gonna snake we're not gonna go forward backward forward i don't know if i can i i don't know if i can handle another one of jean <laughs> yeah let's let's go back to the All right, so let, yeah i'm kind of curious because i thought number two or number one would be what well, was going to be a last game but so i'm curious what number hit number oh, two okay. on you I, I mean field of glory empires is good but in my opinion there are 
definitely two games which stand out more than that. Okay. And I'm actually kind of toss. I, I, I kind of have a toss up for one and two. I put them in a particular order, but they could have even come out in a different order. Um, in fact, I'm even thinking right now. I just put them in this order, but maybe I should reverse them. You know what? I am going to reverse them. So my number two game is going to be... Is this like when you open up the envelope at the awards ceremony <laughs> and you read the wrong, wrong yeah, exactly. game? That never happened before. That doesn't sound right. Let me change that. <laughs> it goes to Will Smith instead. Uh, <laughs> my number two game is Rule the Waves 2. Okay. Huh. I had a feeling that was coming. Yeah, I'm not going to give it my number one, which is where I had it, but uh, thinking about oh. it more, I think the other game I have um, is more deserving. I have to be honest, I was uh, I'm not even sure where I, I, I didn't have a list of games in front of me. I didn't look through every game that's available that became available in 2019. Um, so that's part of my dilemma is I just thought about my year and i thought about what did i play a lot of you just need to repeat 2019 again man just you know go back in time <laughs> i wish if only i could redo it <laughs> no i mean and i played the legionary's life a lot so um it's funny that i didn't even think about that one but i don't think it would have it made my top three had i forgotten about field of glory empires i should have put that one in number three instead but it, it's a great game anyways uh world of waves 2 the reason why it's not number one i, I think world of waves is just a very under underrated and under represented uh, not well known enough underpopular <laughs> what's, what's the word i'm looking for here not enough people know about it underappreciated yeah but it's just not even popular people just don't even know what the game is and i feel like that's been true since the beginning and maybe at some point they're gonna end up where they should but they i think they're still a little bit too um unknown compared to how many people I think would really enjoy this game? I think there's still a large population of people out there who don't know about World of Waves who would really like it. And World of Waves 2, the reason why it's not my number one is because it's basically World of the Waves 1 extended. It has, there is a huge mechanic difference, mechanical difference between 1 and 2 in that there's carriers, there's airplanes. This changes everything. And we know, right? This is how the era of the battleship came to a close is because of aircraft. So, um, adding all that in is intense but when you're playing a game and it's the same interface it's the same battle setup everything's the same except for it goes longer and new mechanics become available halfway through the game i mean by the way halfway through the game that's where the old game used to end if like my old series on rule the waves they used to take let's say 50 hours to complete the new ones will now take 100 hours to complete <laughs> because it, the new game is the old one twice as good <laughs> i wouldn't say twice as good but it's the the old one just plus some stuff at the end where carriers go and they have like a mechanic like a a missing shell where missiles are supposed to go they're supposed to get uh rocket combat involved i think they're supposed to have rocket guided launches from destroyers stuff like that but I can't, I can't imagine how that'll work in that game i have no idea it doesn't make any sense i think that that they don't know exactly how it'll work and it may never even come to fruition, but um, but I love Rule the Waves. It's like how I became even well known on YouTube just because I did so much Rule the Waves. So that's my game, and I, I, I there's no way I can not pick Rule the Waves two in my top three. <laughs> that's fair, and we did a inter we did an interview on the show with uh, the developer of the game as well, and that was a lot of fun. 
I, like you, I really like Rule of Waves 2. I will admit that when it first came out, I think I was a little bit disappointed uh, that there wasn't enough. The experience didn't feel new enough to yeah. me. Um, yeah. And I think part of the problem is I always wanted to play from the 1900 start date because I'm a little bit of a completionist and I don't like the idea of starting the game halfway through the game. I certainly don't like the idea of starting with like legacy battleships or like building a perfect battle fleet in 1925 or 20 or whatever the start date is. So I think I was a little underwhelmed and disappointed with the game. But what I will say is when we did play it a lot for that collaboration series between you, myself, XTRG, and Benjamin Magnus, when I really started, that was the first time I think I really gave the, the game a fair shake. It wasn't the first time I played it, but it was the first time I really gave it its its due. And when we started doing that, man, I, I remembered every reason that I fell in love with Rule the Waves 1. And Rule the Waves 2 is a really good game. Um, and, you know, it kind of completely makes the purpose of Rule the Waves 1 null and void. There's no reason to go back and ever buy that. But but Rule the Waves 2 is 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 excellent, and I agree with you. I've, I've really enjoyed my time with it um, after a little bit of a, a delayed uh, appreciation for it. Yeah, it's one of those, I think, that it has a learning curve. You know, it's not one of those that um, was easy to get into. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I feel like that's probably what keeps a lot of people from, you know, trying it out is the learning curve. Because I know when I tried it out, I spent some time trying to, like, get used to the mechanics and how it worked. And, you know, it, it took longer than a traditional strategy game. So, you know, like, for me, like, I play John Tiller games. I really like John Tiller games. And those, I'm not going to say like a full grognard, but they're, they're very close, right? There's a lot of stuff in John Tiller games. And I find that even learning a John Tiller game was easier than learning Rule the Waves. There's so many mechanics in there and so many things you got to um, understand and, and get into. And then a lot of things you got to need to understand about naval warfare, which is something that I'm interested in, but not, you know, especially not pre-World War II. Like, my interest in naval warfare starts around World War II. Anything before then is like, okay, you know, but I really gain an interest with naval warfare around, you know, the aircraft carrier, the, you know, uh, Yamamoto battleship, you know, the Fletcher-class destroyers, things around that uh, generation, and then up to modern day. Probably because, you know, my first ship that I ever saw in my life was the Intrepid, which is an SX class carrier. And if you're in New York or traveling to New York, it is, I think, next to 42nd Street. So if you want to see a fucking amazing naval ship, that's where you go. And you can play Rule the Waves on the Intrepid if you bring a laptop. So there. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one of one of the most appealing parts of Rule the Waves, though, is this whole arms race. That's, that's where the game concept comes from. Um, well, I mean, I, I think you're completely right. And I think the fact that, and I, I don't mean this in a negative way, because I think Ultimate Admiral is going to bring a lot more exposure to the same game concept because <laughs> of some other game design choices. But I think the amount of excitement and um, enthusiasm you see out there for Ultimate Admiral Dreadnoughts uh, is indicative of the fact that people love the idea of building their own ships and then fighting them and this arms race concept which is is also going to be built into that game as well well i'm can't wait for a rule the waves three where they challenge ultimate admiral <laughs> it's gonna be interesting how that works out 
I don't think they'll ever challenge them from a visual perspective. I mean, you're comparing a full-blown dev studio uh, to uh a couple of you know literally like one two person. or three guys <laughs> one guy doing all the programming so yeah. I, I doubt that'll happen uh, but that's fine you know there's there's different uh different strokes for different folks as they like to say that's right um with that being said i think it's my turn to yes. jump into my number Please. two game of 2019 and i want to i went back and forth on this a little bit uh, but i think my number two game on this list is uh going to be Unity of Command 2, uh, which is a sequel, obviously, to Unity of Command 1. Uh, it is a turn-based strategy and war game that allows you to play through the Western uh, ca- Western campaigns of World War II. So 1943, starting in North Africa at the end of the North African campaign, into the invasion of Sicily, Italy, and then eventually the liberation of Europe. And it's a game that I... I struggled a little bit to kind of understand how all the mechanics work. Uh, it's a weird game to me because it's super ap- approachable. Like you can literally just jump in and play. It is uh, a brilliant mix of sort of beer and pretzels, but also deep strategy and deep sort of war gaming mechanics. So I think in many ways it's the perfect or one of the better uh, entry level war games out there. Uh, but there were some things in the game and the user interface that seemed a little bit hidden, a little bit not clear. None of it prevented me from playing through the whole campaign uh, pretty effectively and, and winning through the campaign. Um, but there were some things in there that I thought could have been done a little bit better. But on the whole, I think it's a really good game. It has some elements of like the Panzer General kind of a, a mechanic where you have units that gain experience over time and then you uh, carry those units through the entire campaign and you can kind of build uh, a, a shared history, a shared memory with those units so that, you know, that that isn't just an armored unit. That is uh, the armored unit that won the battle of, uh, of Anzio for you or, or whatever it may be. Um, so... I think it's a really well done game, and I think the still the unique thing of the game uh, is that it does supply in a way that I don't think any of these other sort of uh, turn-based strategy games do it, where you have these supply depots that you need to build up or shrink. You need to allocate where you want your supply depots to be located based on the type of terrain the depots are on. They have different amounts of range, and if your troops end up out of supply, they will very rapidly die. And uh, overall, I think it's a it's a a game that's a lot of fun. I spent a lot of time playing it, and I really enjoyed it. And it's definitely uh, the number two game on my top uh, three games of 2019. I mean, it made a lot of awards. I mean, 91%. Everybody, uh, Wargamer, highly recommended 5 out of 5 by Strategy Gamer. Not to be confused with the Strategy Wargamer. <laughs> I mean, I think if you, you will, you will, if you look at Unity of Command 1 which obviously was the first game in the series. And you, you know, if you look back to the press around that game, it was amazingly positive. And to this day, I I still hear many people refer to that as the best sort of entry-level war game that's ever been made. Um, Unity of Command 2 took a lot of what they did for that game and builds on it. Um, I haven't played the original game, so I'm not as versed in Unity of Command 1. That was a game that looked at the Eastern Front as opposed to the Western Front. Uh, but overall, I mean, the whole series has been very well regarded by mainstream outlets, by wargaming outlets, uh, by all of the, uh, you know, uh, whoever you name it, they probably have a positive opinion of Unity of Command as a series. I have more comments about Unity of Command 2, but I think uh, I'd like to 
kind of come back to this one um, after I reveal my number one game. So. Oh my God, we know his number one game. Mm, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed playing this game. This was a really fun game. I had a great time playing it. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see why everybody gave it top marks. I was considering it for my top three, but, you know, I chose my top three on the games that I always play and the games that are always on my mind all the time. And this was very close to number three, but uh, did not make the list. Uh, maybe Unity Command 3, but we'll see. <laughs> all right, so I guess... Because it's not on iPad? Oh man, if it made an iPad, it would uh, definitely uh, turn my head, that's for sure. Or iPhone, this is where I could play while I'm at work, so nobody can, you know, <laughs> be like, uh, you know, freaking walk by my desk and be like, are you, what, what are you up to? I was like, I'm just doing, you know, I'm just checking Slack right here, don't worry about it, keep your eyes away, <laughs> kind of thing. I will say I disagree with this one thing, when I googled Unity of Command, it, there's a section on Google that says, games like Unity of Command. And so it's got Unity of Command 2, which makes sense. It's got Panzer Core, Panzer Core 2, Panzer General, which, yeah, okay, I can see a little bit of that. But then it also has Command Modern Air Naval Operations, <laughs> <laughs> which is not even, like, not even the faintest similar. But anyway, um, Jean, what's your number two uh, game of 2019? My number two is a game that's. I was looking forward to all year. It was a game that kind of made me wow when I first opened it up. And still, every time I catch the dev blogs or the new patches they come out with, and you can see I'm kind of procrastinating mentioning what it is, is Imperator Rome. Yes. So I know you guys had some things to say about it. It was kind of like we actually had an episode devoted to Imperator Rome, and we were kind of going back and forth for like two hours on this game. And I know I was in the very positive, you know, lot over there while you guys were in the middle or toward the other end. But the reason I love this game and hit my number two was, like I was mentioning, it made me say, wow, the moment I opened it up. And it was just like little things. As soon as we got to the map screen, where as I was scrolling from one end to the map to the other, it had that globe effect. And I know, you know, for some people, it's like, give me a fucking break, but... You know, I actually ran into a, one of my friends who uh, mentioned that he really enjoys Imperator Rome. That was one of the first things that he actually mentioned, because I asked him, like, why do you like that game? And he says, you know, actually, one of the first things that really caught my eye was that globe effect. And then when you go down to the map of how gorgeous and textured that map is, how beautiful it is. And then when you mix all that paradox strategy awesomeness that they have in every single game with their character... Uh, system, the character engine that they had in Crusader Kings that they kind of migrated over to this game, it just it just kind of like surpassed all my expectations. You know, I just thought, honestly, when I started playing Imperator Rome, I was like, oh, this is pretty much just paint the world a single color kind of strategy game. You know, with the Paradox flavor, though. You know, with a little uh, Starburst uh, kind of flavor in there. But... As I was trying to take over the world, different countries, I noticed little shit. Like the first time I was going from Macedonia, I declared war against some no-nonsense nation, right? And I was sending my dictator over there. And then the game popped up and said, hey, I noticed you go into war. Do you want your wife to kind of run the government? I was like, 
okay, I, I guess, whatever. I don't give a shit. So I clicked yes. And then over the next couple of weeks, I've noticed that she was trying to convert the government to more of a religious fundamentalism. And then there were freaking things going on at home between my sons. One killed the other one and started uh, shaking the stability of the government. I mean, while I was fighting armies in the field, I had to deal with shit that was going back out on home. And it was so engrossing and so immersive that I was just like, boom, right there, right then, top game of 2019. So uh, that kind of won me over. And since... Well, second. Well, yeah, well, top games, I meant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so my top second game of 2019. And, you know, since they released it, you know, they released a, a multitude of updates and patches to address any concerns that people had before with bugs or anything like that. Uh, they changed out the, uh, the population system. Uh, they enhance basically every facet of the game. So from what I understand about the game now, with all these major updates, it's it's vastly improved from its original launch, which I thought at launch it was a great game. Now it's just so much better. So big props to Paradox for this. Uh, I really enjoy it. And it's, it's definitely on my mind, even though when I, I still don't play it as much as I should. It's still on my mind. I always think about it in my, in my head while I'm at work. I'm like, fuck, I need to get me a game of Imperator going on. And uh, I probably will soon uh, start a new series on it. So, yeah. Well, um, Paradox makes great games in general. Uh, I think that I haven't given Imperator Rome a fair shake since it's pretty, well, I mean, a lot of people would say the pretty disastrous release. Um, but yeah, definitely, you'd have to give Paradox a lot of credit that they, they reacted to this. I don't think they expected it. I really don't think that... I'm pretty sure that they thought they were releasing a really top-notch game. Um, and I think there's a little bit of market forces here. People basically voting with their dollar on Paradox DLC policy, which crept into the reviews of the game. Uh, like that or not. I mean, whether you like it or not, I think that's that's a little bit of what was happening. So I would do that mana. <laughs> yeah, that's some people had, you know, gameplay related reasons to not like it, <laughs> which I don't know. I don't really, I don't really know if I dislike the mana concept or or not. But it's all. I mean, we're playing a game, so a game's gonna have game mechanics. It's unavoidable. Um, anyway, I just want to say that I I respect that as a pick. Um, I don't think it would have been anybody's top. What I don't think it should have been at least anybody's top pick when they first released. But uh, or maybe that's not even fair. Maybe some people. I think John, you actually really enjoyed it right out of the box, even though a lot of other people. I mean, they did some bug squashing and some quick free DLC releases to get everyone aligned and a little bit more of a positive opinion. It seemed like that all worked out. I again haven't really tried it for the last six months. I've tried it maybe. Um, I tried it when it first was released and then maybe once more like a month and a half later after release and my opinion hadn't changed greatly between those two but it's still a fun game to me it's just not to me it, it it's just part of the reason why I maybe I don't have as high of an opinion of it is because I have such a high bar and I like very high opinion very strong positive opinion of so many other Paradox games, like Hearts of Iron, I love that series, and Europa Universalis, so, even Vic Vicky, I mean, Victoria 2 is a great, they make such great games that um, I didn't find any of the same magic in Imperator Rome at launch. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess that's where we're describing. I just, I thought at launch uh, the opposite. And, you know, I feel like ever since they released this game and all the, and, you know, honestly, one of the things that I was mentioning in on my channel was that, you know, they released a 1.1 update, 1.2. And, you know, when you think of these, like, all right, well, it's a 1.2 update. How good is a 1.2 update? And then you go through the freaking feature list here. And I have the uh, 1.2 Cicero update. And this thing freaking goes on and on and on. I mean, I'm still scrolling literally for like 10, 20 seconds. I don't think that the number of items somebody puts on a change list. Uh, I mean, you can be as detailed as you want. You can start saying, I corrected this line of code. I commented this line of code. You, anybody... I think, honestly, though, you're right. A lot of things were changed, but I wouldn't quote change log. You, you see here, like, and we're not even talking like, you know, I changed this line of code. It's like reworked experience. Unit experience no longer decays from losses in combat. Then reworked military traditions. Split cities into cities, settlements, metropolises. Settlement is a basic own territory unit. I mean, added 11 new building types, added five new buildings for settlements. Fabricating claim is no longer instant. And then, you know, you just on all Republic laws reworked, all monarchy laws reworked, all tribal laws reworked. I mean, this is not a small little thing. This is like, you know, if you're reworking an entire Republic law, that shit is going to take, you know, hundreds of lines of code. And that's just one thing right but doing things to do things doesn't actually mean it's a good change i think well they i don't think they would just do it for the heck of it you know they, they would do it to improve it but what that means is if they felt the need to make all the changes that they made then clearly at launch the game had problems i don't think the game had problems at launch i think people's expectations of the game were they, I think what a lot of people wanted was for $40, they wanted a game that was as deluxe as like Crusader Kings 3 is today, right? Like they wanted a game that was as... Crusader Kings 3? Yeah, they wanted... access to the game? I mean, uh, give, my, my apologies, I'm sorry. Crusader Kings 2, <laughs> Crusader Kings, <laughs> Crusader Kings 2, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, we don't need to turn this into an argument about, about Imperador. Obviously, yeah, you, know, we talked you, you thought, you thought highly about Imperador. Um, I think, I, I didn't hate it, but I, you know, wasn't on my list. Um, but, you know, I certainly respect this decision of yours more than Whoa. I respect <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm getting on matt's that good side <laughs> i can't wait to hear john's number one though <laughs> speaking of number like, one is that damning with faint praise is the, it's like well this opinion <laughs> is good your last one still sucked <laughs> oh Moving man to the number one you'd be a great uh, guidance counselor 2019 <laughs> <laughs> well let's take a let's let's shift this back over to tortuga and see what his number one game of 2019 was I want to revisit for a brief moment your pick for number two, which was um, your pick for number one. <laughs> no, uh, so that's I. I'm. I actually wanted to compare and contrast Unity of Command with my pick. Um, I wanted to say that I think that actually I don't know if this is represent. I wanted to say, oh, maybe this says something about you as a gamer versus me as a gamer um, that we have slightly different tastes. Probably <laughs> that's not too much of a stretch to say. I think everyone has slightly different tastes, but. My pick for the number one game of 2019 is Strategic Command World War One, and uh, I, I think that that's directly a. I would say that 
had strategic command world war one not come along i might have said unity of command 2 as like my number three and i think the reason why um is because everything about strategic command world war one is deeper and to me that's more satisfying it's more complicated it takes longer to learn in fact the first time i played strategic command world war one I, I bounced off it I, I had to force myself to play it a little bit longer because I really didn't like it. Luckily for me, I was forced to play it longer because I was streaming the game <laughs> and I wasn't going to be like, okay, this game sucks after like 30 minutes. But after I kind of played it for, it was probably like an hour and a half, two hours in that stream, started to pick up a little bit of momentum. Um, the game mechanics to me, by the way, this also comes, uh, I should have, like, full disclosure, I haven't played any of the uh, previous Strategic Command titles. I played Strategic Command, what was the one? World at War, the most recent one? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I played that one very briefly, and I bounced off that as well. So I think part of this is me just saying yes to Strategic Command as a general series, but I also think that Strategic Command World War One is probably the the peak of their their gaming titles right now it's probably the best of what they offer and um yeah it, it took me by surprise which something that surprises you which is much better than you expect probably creates like a psychological effect where you pick it as a better game than maybe it really is just because you were so surprised that you're so happy with it compared to <laughs> like um we're saying i'm kind of saying the same thing opposite of imperator rome like it I was expecting so much more that I'm probably a little bit more negative about it than I um, otherwise would be if it was a different company making it. So, a Strategic Command World War One. It, I love it. I'm. Uh, I know Matt's playing it. He's got a series on it. I got a series on it. It's like you. I just started recording it and couldn't stop. It was so fun. So, <laughs> and I, I think that there's a lot of good. There's been a lot of okay. There's been a lot of decent. Um, and also a lot of not so good World War One games out there. Um, I really think we to should do end a, all wars. Cough to end all wars. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say we should probably do a, a an episode one day about just World War One games. We can because there's another one. Um, this Supreme Ruler. They have a uh, the Great War um, DLC to their game, and that one's pretty interesting because it adds like geopolitical stuff, which is not really present in strategic command world war one it's it's almost like a geopolitical simulator with 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 military but i think the focus is still war game first or i i'm not i don't guess i'm sure it's war game first and by definition by the developers words they say this is war game first geopolitical sim second so yeah but if which is true i mean it's it's a game that like the politics is very much inconsequential for almost all of it like, I don't even know why they allow you to have diplomatic relations with countries that are hard-coded into coming into the war on the side of the other side. Like, why Why am I being allowed to waste my money on something that has no impact except maybe delaying their entry, like, a month? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they need to rebalance some of the dip- diplomacy stuff. But I'm okay with it just as a game, which is a war game, where... Like, they almost just pick historical time frames for all those kind of things to happen if they just completely abstracted the diplomacy. Because the thing I like most about it is, um, well, I mean, no surprise, the combat. Uh, I think that they have done a really good job. And I also think that their supply mechanic is really good. It took me probably like 20 hours into the game to start appreciating it, and maybe even more than that, 
to like really really appreciate it but i think it's extremely clever and i only noticed this because in my current game i i did a france first push and i kept you know i i was very successful in my opening schlieffen and i i took paris at some point and then i started pushing south because they I don't know, this doesn't strike me as realistic. There's a lot of things about the game which are not realistic, and I think that people just need to go back to our Single Mall Strategy podcast episode on this. You'll hear first and foremost that naval combat is pretty atrocious, and that's something I stand by, despite, <laughs> despite the fact that the game is my number one pick. Um, but supply is really interesting. I, I have this situation where I'm pushing, pushing south in France to take their second capital in Bordeaux. I don't think that France... <laughs> I can't imagine a situation of France not surrendering in my situation where I'm just rolling over them. But that's besides the point. Um, the supply mechanic is really interesting. I actually have to wait for cities to rebuild supply if I attack them too much. Um, yeah, I thought that was cool. To like stretch your supply. Um, they kind of rejuvenate the supply flow. And it ends up being a very interesting minigame. Um, and it, so what I found is actually I had to slow down my push south waiting for supply to catch up. Uh, which was just... I like. I was so floored by that in a positive way. It really worked for me. I felt like, wow, this is cool. Anytime the game catches me off guard, like in this moment where I feel like, wow, this is like real. I can't solve this problem because it's a real problem. <laughs> I, I think that's a good thing. So, sorry, I made, yeah. Spoiler alert, that is my number one pick for 2019. Uh... Well, what, John, why don't you add anything that you might Yeah, that's add? all I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> oh man, we should have done a revert. Now I'm just joking, but no. But uh, I completely agree with you. This is my uh, number one game of 2019, uh, and the reason being is I play this game literally nonstop. Like I can't, I, I put in so many hours into this game and just so much work just uh, making art for it, uh, for my YouTube videos and stuff like that. So. And this is always on. This game is always on my mind, even when I'm not playing it. And that's kind of like a hallmark for me of like a great game. If this game is in my head while I'm not playing it, that's fucking amazing. Uh, something that I always look forward to throughout the day. Uh, there's a couple things I really love about the game: the trench system that they have, um, the uh, technology system. You know, a lot of the key mechanics that they brought for Strategic Command to World at War, they brought over to this game. Those mechanics that I love, that you know I'm used to, uh, but they they added you know little bits and tidbits here uh, to improve the game, to make it more wool, to be to make it more improved. I would say things like the mines. I really like how all of a sudden you know if I'm sailing out into the open sea, I fucking hit a mine. All this shit, suddenly my ship gets uh, smashed up. So I, I I like that, even though it kind of pisses me off every so often. Uh, I do like other things. Uh, their Blue Max mode that uh, they released for the game is, uh, if you do purchase the game, you got to visit the forums. There's a, there's a thread there. It's called the Blue Max mode. you got to play this with that. And the reason I say that is, you know, if you play Strategic Command World War One, it's kind of like, I use the analogy in one of my videos, it's kind of like buying a Ford Mustang, right? But without a paint job, you know, it looks great. You know, the design looks nice. You know, it can go from zero to 60 in two seconds. But adding this mode, which changes all the tokens and old and redoes the map and just basically makes everything look sexy and pretty. Right. It's like putting fire red on that Ford Mustang. It's just like, oh, shit, this is beautiful. So 
yeah, you definitely want to pick up this Blue Max mode. It's free, of course, so you can easily pick it up. But, you know, key things that I really liked about the game is uh, the new mechanics that they added in, like the mines and stuff like that, the trench system. I do like that I can actually play a World War One game, right, without going full Grognard on that. Right. And what I mean by this is like normally when I want to play a World War II game, I used to pick up Heart to Iron and then have to devote months, if not a year into the game. Here, I can pick up a World War One game and instead of, you know, spending, um, you know, a long time with, you know, months and stuff like that, I can actually finish the game in, you know, a few weeks, if not uh, sooner, depending on how fast I want to get through the game. So uh, other things I really liked about this game, the decision system something I really like about this game, you know, it adds a little bit of variety. You can kind of branch the game off from the vanilla kind of historical version. Really like that. Um, like the weather effects, especially with the blue max mode looks really good. I do also like the fact that when you start the game off air power is shit, right? Like you got planes flying in the sky and you're like, Oh man, these things are fucking worthless. But the allies who I'm actually fighting against, they put a lot of research into air power. And now I see it late in 1917, how effective this can be. And especially with artillery. Before in the earlier in the game, I was like, people are shooting off artillery. And it was just like, you know, I, I could throw a rock and it would have better use, right? Now in 1917, years into the game with research, right? The freaking allies are tearing me a new asshole, right? Where I can't. I'm losing entire cores even before they begin an attack. So little things like that that they added into this game. And like you were saying, the supply mechanics, I really have a great appreciation for. The one thing that I'll leave off with this game that I would love the developer to add, and it's not like a con or anything like that, but it's a wish list thing. I would like the ability in this game to raise cities to the fucking ground. And the reason why I will tell you guys this is because I moved my entire army west to deal with the allies. I took, uh, I signed a peace treaty with Russia, but then I got these little towns like in Serbia or Montenegro that kind of rise up with partisans and piss me off. And I had, I think Serbia, right, uh, Belgrade, uh, revolted twice. And, you know, after the second time, I, I want to just send in a core there and just raise the town to the ground. So you know, if, if I could just add one thing to the developer, please let me raise the bloody town to the ground. But yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my piece on the game. <laughs> now, did you um, realize, John, that you can, um, you can hit P to bring up the partisans map mode? Uh, no. What, what, you hit T to bring up the partisan map mode. If, you, P, hit P, as in if you hit P, it will show you where on the map partisans can rise up, and if you leave those areas ungarrisoned, then partisan units will rise. Ah, that's okay. right. So basically, you just have to leave garrisons there. Oh, okay, interesting. All right, I did not. Uh... There's places like that in Russia, also. Yeah, I've noticed that Minsk and uh, Minsk did that to me. So Slomensk and Minsk. So we'll keep doing that to you unless you leave those areas garrisoned. Yeah, but, you know, especially when you're low on troops, you know, I need everybody I can get, so. And that gives you the realistic uh, limitations of uh, the war, because uh, they're definitely needed. That You couldn't just, you know, advance and not leave garrison troops behind in certain parts of Europe. With that being said, I guess that leaves it up to me for my number one game yeah, of I'm, I'm 2019. Really Drum roll! Wait, 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 did you? Okay, no, just go ahead. Strategic Command World War One. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. 
Oh shit, we all have the top number one. Holy shit. That's pretty I remarkable. Mean, so yeah. It, uh, That's the first time I, I ever happened. That was slightly different for my YouTube channel, and I had things reordered a little bit. But what did the, you do on the your top... YouTube channel? I was going to ask you that because I I thought I saw it. So I I moved a few things around in my YouTube channel. I had Legionary's Life as number four, and I had Strategic Command as uh, as number three, and Unity of Command was actually my number one. But I will say that my appreciation for Strategic Command has been growing over time. And uh, I actually think I think a little bit more highly of it now than I did before. The one game that I did leave off my top three here that was actually in my top three in my other list was Command Modern Operations. Oh, yeah. Uh, And that's because I wanted to talk about A Legionary's Life. I did my list on my channel as a a top five. Um, But if we were doing it just as a top three, I think I would have rated A Legionary's Life a little bit more highly because I really do think... Just from a pure gameplay perspective, I don't know if it's really top three, but from a one guy did this thing and the experience is phenomenal and I loved it and I wanted to talk about it. That's why it made it into my top three. Um, but I and I would also probably put Strategic Command World War One above Command Modern Operations right now. So hence hence my ordering. Um, that being said, I guess if I was going to talk about another game, I do think another game that uh, could be my number one on the list would be Command Modern Operations, and that is the sequel to Command Modern Air Naval Operations, which is developed by Warfare Sims and is published uh, by Matrix and Slytherin Games. And it is a spiritual successor to the Harpoon series. It's a newer version of their previous game, and it is, I mean, if you were to say hey, I want to build a really complex computer simulation to simulate hypothetical wars, and it's not actually a computer game. That, that would kind of be what the idea is behind Command Modern Operation. It is a simulation more than it is a game. They reworked the user interface to make it a little bit more approachable. Uh, I think they definitely made some enhancements to uh, the map and the way you can scroll around a lot more seamlessly, a lot more fluidly. Um, I think they made a lot of just sort of basic quality of life improvements. I think the real big thing with this game is is I've seen criticism about this, but uh, they added uh, integration with TAC mode, uh, or sorry, TAC view, which is a program that a lot of flight simmers use to kind of rewatch their dogfights in 3D. Well, with the integration they built with uh, TacView, they actually are able to output your command, uh, your command battles to TacView in real time while you're playing it. So, uh, command itself is a 2D interface, um, again very similar to Harpoon, but they output it into a 3D world, which is not like super high. You know, you don't have like paint or things like that. It doesn't look like real life. It's kind of, hey, this is a red jet. It looks like the real jet, but it's just a solid red color or it's a blue color or whatever. But it is nice to see in a 3D environment planes crisscrossing through the sky, dogfighting and doing all these other things. They made a lot of enhancements to the game. Um, They completely reworked the way that dogfighting works. They really put a lot of uh, effort into modeling G-forces on the actual operators of the aircraft. Uh, And then, um, oh, and by the way, so the TacView thing, you have to buy TacView separately. If you want that, it's an optional add-on. You buy it through the TacView company, not through Warfare Sims. Um, but overall, I think they did a really good job with this game, and uh, I think it, it. I think one of the most impressive things they did with this game, and this is going to sound weird, because um, it's not specifically about the actual gameplay. Uh, they 
had, I want to say like a dozen DLC packs with Command Modern Air Naval Operations. And when they updated uh, the game and and released this sequel, they ensured that all of their previous scenarios will work in the new game. And so if you bought any DLC for the previous version of the game, guess what? That all works in the new game. If you are, you know, one of the many hundreds of people that are out there building literally thousands of user-created scenarios out there, all of those scenarios you made in your previous version of the game will work in the new game. Now, you might need to rebalance some things because, again, a lot of the combat stuff was enhanced and modified. Uh, But overall, I just think that's an incredibly pro-consumer approach to things and i was really uh stunned to see them do that because you pretty much never see game developers do things like that like could you imagine crusader kings 3 coming out and all the crusader kings dlc for crusader kings 2 would work wow because i can't like i mean that's that's basically what they did Arena matrix though has been uh, a lot of their pretty much most of all their games come with the scenario though i mean like strategic command well and this does too yeah, so I mean, pretty much all their games come out with a scenario editor. So that's one thing I really love about that publisher. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you on Paradox. It would be really great if they did something like that. I mean, the best the best way. I don't think it's pl- the the games are the scenarios are coded, and I think in Lua, and so or the oh. scenarios are coded in Lua. You can script your scenarios in Lua, so it, it makes it very easy to transform over to the new game because it uses the same, uh, I guess, language. Um, I don't think, you know, I'm assuming with all the the massive underpinning changes that they're making with CK3, I don't even think they could do that if they wanted to do it. But but I but I that doesn't mean I I still definitely appreciate them for doing that in Command uh, Modern Operations. If you can do it relatively simply, I think it's a it just shows a lot of support and, and appreciation for their for their followers. And I, you know, I, I don't know if I've done a great job of describing what this game is. If it, if you ever wanted a sandbox where you could literally build any hypothetical conflict between thousands of different aircraft and thousands of different military systems, and you just wanted to kind of create scenarios in this sandbox and, and fight them against each other, you can do that in this game. And so that's, I think, one of its big appeals. I think Rule the Waves' appeal is, hey, it's a sandbox scenario, you know, shipbuilder. This is a sandbox war builder where you can, you know, build any sort of hypothetical conflict that you really want to. The one weakness in the game really continues to be land combat. They made some enhancements there, but it's still not, you know, if you're looking for a game that's primarily about land combat and blitzkrieg across Europe in World War III, you probably want to look at like flashpoint campaigns or something like that instead. Um, But overall, this game is my number one game of the year because I I think a ton about it. I think it's really good. And I, uh, you know, I, I think very strongly about strategic command as well. Uh, but uh, this would be my number one game of 2019. So I think I think it's pretty cool that we all agreed on the same game, which people are not going to believe this, but we did not at all plan. Yeah, I didn't plan <laughs> that. I, I actually I think it sounded pretty convincing. Hey, yeah. you know, <laughs> you totally dude, I had no idea that was your number one game. I thought you were going to come out with some, no offense, obscure game. I was like, oh, I, I don't know nothing about that game. Listen, but- Tortuga, you can say that it was it was spontaneous but let's be real we got our video surveillance team we were making bull moose noises we were letting people know what pitch was coming so we could crush that homer out of the park i have no idea what the fuck you just said <laughs> none of you guys are following the sign stealing shit going on in major league baseball right now. oh i i saw i uh, saw something uh, vaguely in the news but i did not i'm basketball and football kind of guy it is it is baseball. kind of 
I know I, I know your Twitter feed's been lighting up with stuff like that. It is a big deal. I did want to talk about a few other games that were, were apparently, I mean, I didn't really... Um, Honorable so mentions. We have the kind of cr- uh, weird situation now where I, I only wanted to pick from games which were released in 2019. Or really, I guess I... I was originally going based on that, and then I thought maybe I should just pick the games I liked the most in 2019, even if they were 20 years old. Um, I don't know what the best way of doing it is. Maybe it is supposed to be only the games in 2019, so that people, you know, listen to us and they say, oh, "Okay, those are new games that I haven't checked out yet." Um, however, there the, with the early access, the whole thing where people basically don't release a game, but you've been playing it for like six years. It's a little bit weird to suddenly put it on your 2019 best games, um, like <laughs> even if it should have been there like four years ago. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I mean, so that's the other difficult thing with like a game like Ultimate Admiral Dreadnoughts. Like that yeah. game would definitely be in my list if the campaign was out. But I think the reason I didn't put it in my campaign is not because it's not an early access, but because I haven't gotten to play the part of the game that I think is the most important part to me. So I don't want to rate it as a top game until I actually interact with the mechanic in the game that is 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 the most meaningful to me. Yeah, I think it'll be a, a top game whenever it is released. So I, I don't know if we're supposed to do it based on release date, but technically there are um, there is at least one game which I really love, and I would at least say that I'm going to mention it here, is They Are Billions. It's a great okay. strategy game if you like the... It's kind of like a mix-up between... Age of Empires and um, Caesar or Pharaoh, those old city city building games. Um, it's a survival type game in the sense that you are building a city. You, you most of the objectives are to get to a certain population, but all the while zombies are spawning around you. It's a zombie based game. The lore of zombies and um, you have zombies attacking you, so you have to build up walls. And I think the defensive system in that game is really amazing i highly recommend anyone who hasn't heard of it and may be interested in like something like a pharaoh mixed with an age of empires if that sounds interesting to you i definitely recommend that you check out they are billions is it is it more of like a is it kind of like stronghold but with zombies instead of like soldiers yeah 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 you could say it that way um it's not stronghold and i mean there's no it's not pvp it's not against the ai the only way to play it is with like this spawning zombie mechanic at least as far as i know i mean if you play the campaign there are some story missions where you go on um you know in strategy games especially like the old warcraft games like warcraft 1 warcraft 2 you had maps where you build and then you had maps where you had a fixed number of units you start out with they have some of those fixed number of units where you just have to clear the map very carefully um, I don't think that that's everyone's favorite type of map, but anyway, they have that in the campaign if you're interested, and the campaign has this system where you slowly research different topics to improve your cities, like, okay, I'm going to have this resource gathered 10% faster, that's a research thing I picked after maybe the first mission, and then it applies for the rest of the campaign. All those kind of things, that, that just, it ticks so many boxes for me, I really enjoy it, so that's my, I, I don't know if it's it's a strategy game. It's not the kind of strategy game that we usually talk about on this podcast, but um, I think it's worthwhile mentioning because technically it was released, even though it's been in early access. I've been playing it for like three years. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't not, I don't have any issue with including games from previous years. I've even, at least on my, on my channel, when I do my top five list, I will often say like, basically, these are the five games I played the most during this year, and whether it came out this year or it came out like at the end of 2017, you know, it, it was, it was my top game for that year. So uh, it doesn't, you know. That that's sort of my logic, but yeah, I know people are topical and they want they want what's new. So sometimes you'll get some. Which makes sense. I do think um, that uh, they are billions. I I haven't played it, although I do have it. It's one of those games that was like Steam sale, and I was like, I've seen such great positive reviews about this thing. I should really check it out, and it's cheap, and so I buy it, and then I haven't actually played it. But I will say they are billions for whatever reason in my mind. When I think of that, I also think of uh, Frost. Is it Frostpunk? Which are oh yeah like, they kind of came out or started coming out I think around the same time and they had yeah. they seem like they have similar mechanics and ideas one you're surviving against zombies the other you're surviving against like the elements but it's still kind of uh, they have a very similar vibe and um, you know sort of uh, aesthetic and I think they came out around the same time yeah a bit a bit different just because one is I agree that essentially both of them are similar because they both have strong city building elements um but it's a little bit different just that they're billions you have active things on the map trying to kill you you have to you have to create an army like while you're doing the city building so that's why it feels a little bit like caesar or pharaoh or age of empires i guess it's also um, where you have to like expand move your army there first to clear out an area and then you can expand um with frostpunk it was I guess a little bit similar in that you had to expand your heat camps, which are basically like power cells to allow you to expand. I don't know. Yeah, but I haven't played Frostpunk, so I can't... I've watched other people play it, but I, I otherwise can't speak to it. Um, should we have been mentioning any DLC? That's another thing which I didn't mention in any DLC which came out, but I was... You know, I, I could have. Like, Armored Brigade had a lot of good DLC which came out. I'd like to say that Armored Brigade was another runner-up for me. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, if you want to make an honorable mention, I generally, the reason why I just made, um, like, the way I kind of took Best Games of 2019 as, like, a full or early access game that kind of released, um, I was going to add DLCs to mine, but, like, when I think of game, like, Best Game of 2019, I always think of a full game that came out. DLCs yeah. are nice. That um, They're add, like, components to the game, but I feel like it's not the full, like, you know, you can't just buy a DLC and just play it by itself. You have to buy the game and a DLC. Okay, fair. I agree. So I'll still mention Armored Brigade. That's another game I was playing. I had a lot of fun with. Yeah, that was an In incredible some game. years, I feel like DLC could almost have its own top five DLC of the year. I didn't feel like there was that much interesting DLC this year, although Armored Brigade definitely had some. But generally speaking, it felt like a little bit of a down year for, for DLC that was compelling and interesting to me to play anyway. BSG, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Deadlock had some good ones. Oh yeah, I always forget about that game. I, I've barely played it. Anyway. Year of 2020 is upon us. And uh, our next episode, guys, uh, for episode number 5-0. We've hit 5-0. Can you believe it? So, episode 5-0, we're going to be going into our top anticipated games of 2020 and uh it's gonna be a great list at least from my end i already released a video on it so if you guys want a little spoiler you can go in there but uh, i'm sure matt's already talked about his and i i don't know Tortuga, did you release yours oh i haven't i haven't gone into these 2019 2020 videos oh okay i keep it just exclusive to the 
single malt strategy podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> we have them on the contract, people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll save that for the next episode, which hopefully we can get out by uh, either probably next week or the week after. But uh, that does. Can I come to one of your places to record it? Because I'm pretty sure that I will have uh, sold my home so that I can. Uh, afford buying a 50-year-old bottle of scotch uh, to celebrate episode number Matt's selling his home to buy a bottle of scotch. <laughs> That's the way I like it. Well, the only way I can afford a 50-year-old bottle of scotch <laughs> is by selling my house, let's be real. so It's only reasonable. Um, <laughs> I got a new mattress. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to make me play Axis and Allies by Beamdog? Because if you are, I'm not coming. Oh, man. <laughs> Weren't you guys like for the holiday season? Weren't you guys like within the same state? Like you guys probably could have like ran into each other. I mean, Illinois is oh, a big yeah. state. It's like <laughs> we were only six hours away from each other. It's like oh, we we're only four hundred <laughs> miles apart. Usually, when you see Illinois, it's like this little, small, little, quaint little state. No offense, y'all in Illinois, but you know, when... I have no idea what map you're looking at, but I think you <laughs> failed geometry. <laughs> You know, honestly, I just pay attention to the East Coast and sometimes the West Coast. And, you know, I know that coasty, (laughs) you know, if it's not by D.C., New York City or Philly, I don't know. (laughs) No, I'm joking. But um, we will catch you guys in the next episode. We hope you guys enjoy this and we'll catch you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.